This is CNT Talk. Every week, two friends debate the issues of the ages as we agree to disagree. It's never politically correct, but it's always entertaining. Join us tonight so you can sound knowledgeable at work tomorrow. We're smacking you upside the head with the hammer of truth. Welcome to the show. Hello, hello. Uh, you got me again. Uh, Tony is unavailable at the moment, so I, I had some thoughts I had to share. So I, I think this format, I, I prefer it with Tony and I together, but uh, sometimes I just have thoughts to share, and I'm going to do that. So and it, it won't be a long show, but it will be some thoughts. Uh, since last time we talked, obviously Russia is still in Ukraine. Um, I'm not even... I'm not even sure where this ends up because what Russia, what Vladimir Putin wants from Zelensky, the president of Ukraine to do, to just basically give up and be a, a vassal state of Russia isn't really probably something that um, Ukraine has a, has a stomach for. Um, and I, I touched on it briefly the last time, but there is a history here. And whether you like the history, whether you think it's a valid history, whether you think it's a valid reason, the Soviets basically starved, I think it was almost 5 million people. Stalin almost starved almost 5 million people in Ukraine prior to the start of World War II, or at least the Russian invasion of World War II. So when the Germans got to Ukraine, uh, the Ukrainians were not repelling them because they kind of felt like Stalin wasn't really on their side. Maybe the Germans aren't good guys, but they got to be better than the guy who just starved 5 million of us. Um, so there was a lot of partisan uh, fighting. Eventually, the Ukrainians realized that the Germans, the Nazis, uh, were, not, were really, really bad guys, and maybe we better fight back. But if you understand history at all, you understand that the, the Russians, which dominated the Soviet Union, they weren't real thrilled by this. Um, they have a long memory. And Ukrainians also have a long memory. Uh, much like we, we saw in the Balkans, there, there's a lot of animosity between peoples. And it doesn't go away because it's a different century and most of those people are since uh, passed away. Those stories get told over and over and the resentment lasts a long time. Look at the, look at the Northern Ireland. There, that's decades and decades and decades, uh, well over a century of hatred between the England, British, UK, and Ireland. Uh, it doesn't go away simply because some time has passed. Um, Israel and, and the Arab world. It, it, we, we live in this, relatively speaking, young country and think that everything should be good by the commercial break um, or, or at latest the end of the show. You know, we're, we're a population who thinks in 30 second sound bites or TikTok videos or something like that. We don't grasp typically how long the, the animosity can last it, and it may never end. You know, they, they just don't like each other. They're not going to like each other. So when we played footsie with Ukraine and I, say us as the United States, we played footsie and this goes back to Bush one, Bush 41. Uh, when the Soviet union ended, there was an opportunity to play it one of two ways. We could welcome the Russians 
you know, not all the Soviet Union, but the Russians, we could welcome them into the world again. You know, hey, you threw off the yoke of communism, welcome. Or we could continue to treat you like an enemy. Now, it's easy to say in hindsight what we should have done. I don't know that anybody, again, that was 50 years, maybe more, of animosity towards the Russians, toward the Soviet Union. And, and in most people's mind, you, they're the Ruskies. It didn't matter that they were the Soviet Union. It was the Russians. And yes, they were made up of multiple countries and had broken apart in 1991. But we still looked at them as the Ruskies. And you can't trust a Ruski. Well, we didn't set them up to succeed. They had no history. And I, I, I think it was Thomas Sowell who was talking about this. They had no history whatsoever of democracy. So we seemed shocked when there was chaos for over a decade and Boris Yeltsin is the president of Russia. And for lack of a better term, he seemed like a, uh, an aging drunk. And I, maybe in a different situation, he could have been successful, but it was free for all. Russia was a free for all uh, oligarchs and, and mob ties. It was, it was a mess. We were just happy, I think, to have the Cold War over as we saw it. You know, if you go back to the music of that era, early 90s, 91, 92, Berlin Wall Falls in 89, you start to see just a change like, oh, we can finally wake up. Oh, this is great. Oh, the the long national nightmare is over, whatever you want to think of it. Um, But the nuclear weapons didn't go away, at least not for the Russians, not for us. you know, India still had nuclear weapons, China had nuclear weapons, Israel had nuclear weapons, Pakistan has nuclear weapons. I'm not really sure why there was this collective gasp of, oh, now we can breathe. Because the, the players may have changed their names and the uniforms may have altered a bit, but they were still there. Uh, Iran still wants a nuke. North Korea still wants a nuke. They, they wanted it then, they want it now. I'm not sure what exactly changed other than the Soviet Union, the boogeyman, was no longer in existence. So it was Russia. Um, you know, and then we take Vladimir Putin, who I think wanted to be friends. I really do believe early on in his reign in the early two early two thousand, he wanted to be part of the world community. He asked to be part of NATO. And so the question comes up should NATO have disbanded? in 1991, 92, maybe should have disbanded because the whole purpose of NATO was to counteract the Soviet union and the Warsaw pact, but there was no Warsaw pact and there was no Soviet union. So should NATO have ended now? We, we had, should have had this discussion in the early nineties and Bush 41 made a decision not to do so, not to disband. And I think that's, that's long rooted in the history of these people. Uh, Bush 41 was a world war II pilot. He, he, he was involved in all this. So he understood what was going on and he was former director of the CIA. This was, this was what he did. And suddenly now you're saying, Oh, well, you know, they're not, they're not enemies anymore. It's easy to say the words. And it's certainly looking back 30 years, it's easy to say the words, but in the moment, it didn't look like they weren't still our enemy. They just changed their name and said, Oh, we're not communist anymore. Now, we're 
12 years removed from invading Afghanistan by the Russians, but the Soviet Union, sorry, 1979. We're not that far away and it looks distant today, but it wasn't distant then. And all the players on the scene remember that. So I give them a break that they didn't wholeheartedly go, Hey, welcome. Good. To ha- good. to have you, buddy. Welcome to the world community. Okay. By 2000, Putin's in power. We're told former KGB colonel, former KGB, KGB, KGB. He was never really anything but the KGB. Now, is he a good guy? I don't know. I, I doubt it. I, I mean, his actions would tell me he probably isn't. He probably wasn't then either, but he wanted to be part of the world community. You know, and this is a strong, proud people who thought of themselves as a first world power. Now, if you listen to Ben Shapiro, they were never a first world power. They just happened to have nukes, which made them a first world power. But in economic terms and in industrial terms, they were never a first world power. They were barely scraping by. And part of that's communism because communism doesn't lead to abundance. Uh, we've never seen abundance with communism, not straight communism. If you you look at China, that's a little different discussion. It's not straight communism anymore. But straight communism doesn't give you a great quality of life. It doesn't give you uh, what you think it will, what, what you're promised on the, on the brochure. So it's, it's hard to say this, this was easy and say, okay, you know, Vlad, we know you used to work for them because that's that was where you were born and you didn't have a choice. We know you want to be better than that. But if there's no NATO, there's no NATO for him to ask to be part of, right? Uh, and if, you're, if your mindset is, I want us to be great again, look at, look at Mussolini in Italy. He, he promised the return of the Roman Empire. It, it didn't happen, but he promised that to the people and that you know, they're proud people. We want to, we want the glory days back, just like we would be and probably maybe not too distant future. We're going to feel, Hey, we wish we had the, wish we had the nineties back. Uh, but I think we're not looking at correctly when we, we just assume it was black or white with Vladimir Putin. Sometimes in diplomatic international diplomatic circles, you can't pick the best person. You got to pick the, you got to deal with the person who's in front of you and right or wrong. Vladimir Putin was in charge of Russia. Um, he stabilized them. They weren't quite the gun show that they were in the nineties uh, under Yeltsin, but they weren't, they weren't a first world power. And, and I think he craved that. And his biggest export was oil. Um, that's, that's it. I mean, he has some other chemicals and, and, and metals that now are part of battery technology uh, and catalytic converters. But that was their biggest claim to fame. This is what we've got. This is what we were on the world stage and oil prices tanked uh, at different times in the last 20 years. And that really hindered their economy. When your economy is based on one product, it's really, really hard when that product doesn't do well. So it, it puts everything else behind. And I think looking back on it, yeah, it would have been easy to say disband NATO or, or invite the Russians in. I don't think inviting the Russians in was ever going to happen. I just, I really, really don't. There was too much animosity between the member states. Uh, as Clinton expanded and then Bush 43 and, and Obama, the, it was really about encircling Russia. Now, you're not going to hear a lot of people talk about that because, well, you know, they want to be part of it. Well, it was an economic program, not unlike the EU with a military. 
Um, and some countries wanted to be part of it. Some recognized if we're part of this, we get some benefit, but we also put ourselves at risk because Russia doesn't want to be encircled. You know, that happened in World War One. It happened in World War II. They, they got invaded. Uh, they Again, not short memories on some of these things. We have to understand that. So when this all happens, uh, you know, New, Ukraine, hey, we'd like to be part of NATO. Let's be part of NATO. That's on their doorstep. Poland's on their doorstep. Uh, Putin's not happy about this. And we kept push, 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 push. And expected that he would just back down, and I'm not sure why we expected that. Uh, we we bought, we boxed the great bear into a corner, and then it seemed shocked when the great bear lashed out. Now that doesn't excuse anything. It doesn't excuse invading a sovereign country. That's that's not okay. But it it, it kind of puts it in perspective that this is kind of what you should have expected. You know, I, I was told in January of 2021 that the adults were back in charge internationally and domestically. Um, I haven't seen an adult uh, in quite some time. Now, I'll be the first to admit, Donald Trump acted like a buffoon, um, a jerk, an idiot, whatever you want to use. He, he, was not a, he was not a good representation, but they were good people doing the jobs for the most part. Not everybody, but for the most part. So... Yes, he was clownish at times, um, but I, I, I've said this before, and I, I've said this on the show many times. I look at your actions first and your words second. Too many people look at the words first and disregard the actions completely because they get caught up in the words. And I, I think that's where you, you have a problem uh, when it comes to the mad tweeting Um uh, Yes, he would tweet things, and they were mean tweets, and they were wrong, and he would make fun of the wrong people. His behavior was not presidential most of the time. But his policies were helpful in, in the long term for us as a country, as, a, as an organization. I think that's what's important to remember when we're talking about this. This is why things happen. This is what we do um, to help with those things. The point comes down to this. Why do we do what we do on the international stage? Well, the answer is we do what we think is best in our interests. Well, why do we seem shocked? And we do seem shocked when other countries also do things in their best interest, or at least what they perceive to be their best interest. Um, and it's not like there's always a good choice and a bad choice. There's an okay choice and a less okay choice and maybe a really, really bad choice. But we got to choose something or we're going to be overwhelmed. Uh, I think the Ukrainians are doing the best they can. Uh, I don't believe there's a groundswell of U.S. support to put troops on the ground. And I talked about the last time. You don't win battles overwhelmingly with, with simply uh, air, air support superiority. Uh, you have to put troops on the ground. It, it just, we've never seen uh, a victory simply by using air support. We've seen softening targets, but you still had to put boots on the ground. Um, and I think that's where we're struggling as a, as a nation. We, we want to help them because they, we perceive that they're our friend. I don't know if Ukraine is our friend. I, I don't know what we base that on. Um, 
that they're not the Russians? I mean, is that if you're not the Russians and the Russians are fighting you, does that make you our friend? I, I don't know. I think that's a, that's a challenging thing to, to speak to. So I don't know that I would say I overwhelmingly think we should, you know, put planes in the air and boots on the ground in Ukraine uh, because that's, that's going to lead to a wider ranging war. So get back to NATO for a second. There's something called Article 5, which is basically uh, the World War I, pre-World War I uh, alignments, which is you attack me, then we all attack you. You know, um, So one member nation gets attacked or gets invaded, and suddenly, by treaty, you're expected to defend them um, militarily. I've never been a huge fan of these things. I, I think you keep, I go back to Washington. You align while it's useful. You fulfill the obligations of your alignment, but you get out as quickly as you can. You don't stick around um, for bad things to happen because you don't want to get drawn into a, a prolonged engagement uh, militarily or economically because it, it can lead to all these sorts of problems. So you're my friend and somebody beats you up. Now I've got to go to go fight. Well, I don't really want to fight. I'm not interested in fighting. I'm not interested in getting beat up. I'm not interested in using, you know, paying any fines or making any, any deals. I just want to go away. I want to be your friend, but not that kind of friend. And that's what we did with NATO. And I, I don't know, had one of the member States been attacked by one of the Warsaw Pact States, would we have gone to war? Really? Would we have gone to war? I mean, we can say we would have, but would we really have? Because we recognize it stays a conventional war as long as the sides are even. So think about that. The sides are even, meaning you're not overwhelming us. You're not rolling through our countryside. We're basically a stalemate. We're, we're World War One in the trenches. It stays a conventional war at that point. But if one side says, I've got nothing to lose, it becomes a, it becomes a nuclear war, uh, which we all lose. But if one side says, I got nothing else I can do. I, I throw all my nukes at you and maybe I take you out and I probably don't survive, but neither do you. Um, and I could, I could see that on either side. So it, it's really, it's kind of like, um, sanctions like the sanctions on the on the russians uh for this ukrainian invasion it only they only have weight until you need to use them so the threat of them is actually more powerful than the use and that seems strange when you think about it um cutting off all the financial input to russia seems like oh wow that that's that would be awful and and it's devastating to the economy but it's built into the the calculus. I said that before. Nuclear weapons are good until you realize, oh, wait a minute. What they can use nuclear weapons on us. We've given them free reign. If we use it, they can use it. Don't kid yourselves that the Japanese in 1945 had nuclear weapons. They would have used them. They would have used them on us because nobody at that point knew what the ramifications were. The Nazis, had they gotten nuclear weapons, would have used them. I, I believe. I mean, there's no proof, but I would believe they, they would have used them. So why do we expect that? backed into a corner again, backed into a corner. What do you think would happen to Russia? If they thought 
we're facing annihilation. There go the nuclear missiles. Boom. <laughs> they're, they're, they're flying out of uh, Vladivostok as quick as they possibly can. I don't think we think that through. I think we're, we're removed enough from that time period when it was a daily occurrence. I mean, and let's not kid ourselves. Duck and cover. I, I'm not sure exactly what you think that will do, um, but cowering under your wooden desk inside a glass-filled classroom, I guess you could do something, but if it's a nuclear blast, uh, really? I, I've seen footage. I've seen film. I, I don't really know what would... <laughs> I don't know what... Happened. It's not Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull where he rides it out in a, a refrigerator, a lead line refrigerator. This is not... That's not what we would be experiencing. So duck and cover gives you something to do, um, but it doesn't really change the outcome. Um, so I, I just want to caution people when they think about this. There's no simple solution here. Now, international politics are never simple. Both sides have to feel like they're gaining something or at least not losing something major. Both sides. If one side feels like they're being taken advantage of, there's animosity. There's resentment. That carries over for the future. See, we do too many things politically and inter- on, in international thought process. We don't think long term. We think from one administration to the next. So we had Donald Trump for four years. We've got Joe Biden right now, and he reversed everything that Donald Trump did. So if you're a partner with the United States, do you really feel like, I mean, if it's going to flip-flop like that constantly, do you really feel like you want to make a bargain with the United States that, yes, my friend, you'll protect me? No, they won't. No, they won't. Because the next group in might say, nope, not going to do it. Not interested in helping you. Um, not going to invest blood and treasure in defending you from whatever. So you have a proliferation of armaments again, much like we did before World War I and World War well on the Axis side in World War II. The, the reality is, if you don't think somebody else is going to protect you, you have to figure out how to protect yourself. And that means a more dangerous world, in, in my opinion. Um, it's not that the world wasn't dangerous before, but you know who your friends are. We, we bailed on Afghanistan, one strike. We really didn't support Ukraine, even though we said we played footsie with them and said, oh, yeah, 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 get, get rid of your nukes and we'll, we'll protect you. We're not protecting them. We had no intention of protecting them. Those are just words. Bill Clinton, I feel your pain. No, you don't. You don't care. You wanted to get a political motivation done, and you did. I, I helped get Ukraine disarmed. Okay. And now, here we are. Now, I'm not saying that if you kept if Ukraine had kept their nuclear weapons, that they wouldn't use them. They probably would. Because we're getting wiped out. Might as well take them with us, right? The whole scenario with Russia. Nuclear weapons, again, are a deterrent, but if they ever came to use, it would be the end of us. And we knew that in the Cold War. We recognized that mutually assured, mutually assured destruction, mad. We understood that. The Russians understood that. Do the Iranians understand that? The North Koreans understand that. Uh, I think the Indians and the Pakistanis understand it to a degree. I think China understands that. 
Um, but hard to say. You're sitting there in Taiwan. And you're going, yeah, it looks good. Everything's fine. We're great. Probably not. Um, Japan's not feeling quite so solid. Hey, remember, they subjugated the Chinese for a while. Um, never got their payback uh, on the Japanese. So are they feeling, oh, yeah, we're good. We're all, we're all good buddies. No, no. They, they feel they're a great empire and want to rise again. So I say all this just because I want, I want people to understand this is not a simple right and wrong. Um, there are right and wrong actions, but it's not as simple as we, we are led to believe by the media. You know, you, you, you got to defend Ukraine. Do you? I mean, I'm not saying you should or shouldn't. I don't know. But anything that we would really do to defend Ukraine escalates the war with Russia. Then we're in an actual fighting war with Russia. And then maybe we're in a fighting war with China over Taiwan. Is that the direction we want to go? I don't know what the solution is. I wish I could give the solution say, do this and this will solve the problem. I don't know that there is a solution per se, that I think would satisfy any of us. Uh, I think, unfortunately, it's incremental to get back to maybe some peaceful situation, but I wouldn't say it's it's decades of, we, we've basically let it wither on the vine for decades. Um, we had a chance, maybe in the early 90s, maybe, to not be sitting in this situation 30 plus years away, but maybe we didn't, you know, maybe different decisions get made and different outcomes happen. And we're still stuck in a situation where maybe somebody else, maybe Ukraine feels slighted because Russia's in NATO. Um, I, I don't know that there's a positive. Anytime you make alliances, you're now held to what that person or that group uh, does. And that's not always a good thing. Uh, ask the people who co-signed loans for their children to go to college and they're not going to be working till they're dead to pay off loans that your kids took out to go to college, uh, $250,000 of cosign loans. Uh, you got to be really, really sure when you put your own skin in the game. And I don't know that that is something we always, as a country, uh, as a population, as uh, administrations, really think that up. They think in two and four year increments. They really do. They do not think long-term. So that anytime they give you a budget estimate of 10 years to them, it's 10 years, <laughs> a, a million things could have happened by then. Who cares? Nobody's going to remember that I voted for this huge boondoggle of a, a bill because it's 10 years from now. I think we need to have a longer term view of the future. And I think we have to have a, a very clear understanding of the past and not try to dictate from our perspective on what should be done, but understand where the parties, the aggrieved parties are coming from. And if you don't understand that, then you insert yourself in the situation you do not grasp and it only leads to problems. So that to me is part of our problem is, as a United States, we are too quick to tell you how you should do it because we know best. Uh, you know, the upstarts who, Prior to World War II, you know, weren't weren't doing so hot. Um, it was only through attrition, I think, that we kind of came into our own because everywhere else was devastated. You know, any any industrial centers of Europe were shot. Russia, uh, even China, with their civil war with the communists, there was nowhere else. Now we've certainly 
seen an uptick on, on other countries in the world now. So we're not the sole arbiter of all things, good and evil. And sometimes you, they had to take it from us because they needed our money. They needed our, our trade. Maybe they don't need that anymore. Not nearly as much as they did. I mean, we're looking at shutdowns in China again for products and supply chain issues. What, how do we fix that? You know, how do we get to the point where we don't rely on everybody else? There's times when you're going to need somebody else, but when you're fully reliant on China to produce your, your goods or a lot of your goods, then things that affect China affect you. And when that same country holds a lot of your debt, you can't do much. You can't, you're, you're not there. I, 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 I am uh, going through Financial Peace University with, with a, a group uh, from my church. And I, I'm, as we're talking about it, you, you, you start to understand, whether you agree with Financial Peace, Dave Ramsey, it's irrelevant to the conversation. What you have to understand is when you are beholden to somebody else and you won't, don't have free reign of your own decision-making, whether it's a job you have to keep that you hate or it's you're living paycheck to paycheck because you, you don't have your house in order, then you're beholden to others to dictate what you can and can't do. And we are, we are beholden to China. We are beholden to other countries in the world because we can't get our own house in order, period. Uh, we spend money we don't have on things we don't need to try to impress people we don't care about. And that's a problem. So we need to fix our own house. We need to come to grips with these are things we cannot do. There are limits. I don't care what Bernie Sanders says. There are limits. You can't just spend, spend, spend. Nancy Pelosi made a comment the other day that the spending deficit, or sorry, the spending we do actually reduces the deficit. I don't know how that's possible since we have to borrow the money to spend it. Uh, we don't, it doesn't just magically appear and magically reduce the deficit. Uh, so I'm not sure where she got her math knowledge, but that's not how money works. That's not how math works. So those people who believe we can just spend are looking short term. They're looking for the next election. They're looking to remain in power. They're looking to benefit themselves. They're not looking for the country. They're not looking for what we can do for us. So I want to think about my children, my grandchildren, my great-grandchildren. I want to think about those things and say, hmm, Maybe we should be doing some different things that we're not currently doing, hoping it all works out because, you know, it'll just work out in the end because it always does. Well, no, it doesn't always. Um, history is a good guide of it doesn't always work out just because you feel like it, just because you think it should. Uh, and other, other people want to win too. Nobody wants to always be on the losing side. They want to win and they will fight to win. So I leave you with all that, not because I have solutions, but I, I just needed to get that off my chest. There was other things I could have talked about, but I just really wanted to give you uh, some feeling, some history on what we're talking about. So thanks for joining me. Hopefully Tony will be with me next time. I don't know when that will be, but hopefully soon uh, we'll be back together. But thanks for joining me. I'm Chad. Good night. This has been a Hannah Tree production.